yesterday, September 3rd, marked the 22nd anniversary of our ministry. And so on this occasion, we will re-examine our purpose. So, Father, we thank you. And every Sunday since September 3rd, 2000, we have read Ephesians 4, 1 through 13, since day one. We have, have consistently read this passage because, firstly, verses 4 through 7 actually delineate the foundation on which apostolic doctrine is built. And secondly, because verse 13 is the theme and the goal of our ministry. What is apostolic doctrine? Apostolic doctrine is the revelation of God's plan to restore unity to all creation that was revealed in the doctrine of the apostle Jesus Christ. God's revelation to restore humanity was actually revealed in the doctrine of the apostle Jesus Christ. And the goal of this ministry is to be instrumental in fulfilling God's plan. At Unity of Faith Christian Center, our concern is to appropriate the interests of Christ Jesus. Why are we going to appropriate the interests of Christ Jesus? Because he appropriated our interests on the cross. And he's still appropriating our interests every day. Sister, he appropriated Sister Lily's interests. He appropriated Minister Cook's interests. He appropriated Brother Winston's interests. He appropriates our interests. Why? Because if you take care of his business, he will definitely take care of yours. Now, what we must understand is that the theme of creation is unity. U-N, meaning one. And the suffix, I-T-Y, means state, means state of. Thus, unity is the state of being one. So God brought different elements together to form one cohesive whole when he started, when he brought creation into existence. And he created the first human in unity of body and soul. He created the first human being in unity of body and soul. And out of the first human, God created woman and ordained that together they would be a unity. In other words, although they would be two distinct beings, their state of being would be a unity. Their state of being would be one. God gave, gave man, he gave him specific instructions how to maintain the unity of creation. He told him exactly how to maintain the unity of what God had created. He gave him a simple command. Do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Well, we're all familiar with the story, right? Man sins. He disobeyed God. And immediately now, man's state of being was no longer one. Not only this, his act of obedience brought separation into all creation. Consequently, now, he was no longer one within himself. He was no longer one with woman. He was no longer one with his environment. And unity would no longer be the controlling influence of creation. Instead, separation caused by his sin would dominate the entire world. And we are in a constant state 
of perpetual separation. The entire creation would be in a constant state of separation. And mankind now would experience death, which is the ultimate separation of body and soul. So the question is, will the consequences of sin prevail? Or will creation be restored to unity? Well, first we must understand something. When God gave the command not to eat from the tree, he knew there was a possibility that man would disobey. So God warned man that the violation of the command would result in death. He told him. And because God knew that within man was the potential to disobey, he knew that man had the potential to disobey because he put that potential in him. He knew what, what the consequences would be if he did. So the plan of salvation now, designed to reverse the consequences of his potential disobedience, was already in place. He knew that man had the potential to disobey because he had the potential to obey, but he also had the potential to disobey. And God had a plan for either one. He had a plan. If man disobeyed, he had that plan. And the plan was the plan of salvation designed to reverse the consequences of the sin that would be caused by man's disobedience. He know God knows the end from the beginning. First Peter, first Peter, one eighteen, first Peter, one eighteen. For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by the tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without spot, without blemish and without spot, who verily was ordained before the foundation of the world. Is that what it says? Ordained before the foundation of the world. Before God said, let there be, the plan was in place, but was manifest in these last times for you. So the plan to redeem human souls from sin was in place before the foundation of the world. So what this means is that at the very moment that man disobeyed, at that very moment that man disobeyed, sin came into the world and Jesus now was destined to go to the cross to suffer, shed his blood and die for the redemption of humanity. Talking about the consequences. Now Peter says, although the plan by which Christ would be sacrificed for sin existed since time immemorial, it was foreordained and predetermined by God that in these last days, we're in the last days, Christ would be manifest in the flesh for us. Now, earlier I mentioned that Ephesians 4, verse 4 through 13, is the foundation of apostolic doctrine and the goal of this ministry. However, before I move on, I want to explain to you why Unity of Faith Christian Center is an apostolic church. Our church is founded on the doctrine of the apostle Christ Jesus. You've heard me say this, and you'll probably hear me say this many times again. 
We are not a denomination. We are not a denomination. All of those so-called Christian organizations were started by men. They were started by men. Our, our church, our apostolic church was started by the apostolic, by the apostle Jesus Christ. We are the OG church. We are the church of our Lord Jesus Christ. Hope I made that clear to you. Our church is founded on the doctrine of the apostle Christ Jesus. How do we know he's an apostle? Hebrews 3.1. How, Hebrews 3.1. Hebrews 3.1. Paul says, Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider, what does it say? The apostle and high priest of our profession. Who is that? Christ Jesus. He identifies Christ Jesus as the apostle of our profession. The declaration of what we believe. The, uh, the, our, our profession is what we believe. Hebrews 12.2. Hebrews 12.2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our, the author and finisher of what we believe. Jesus as the author of the faith that we declare and believe. What faith? The doctrine of the apostle and author Christ Jesus. I was saying that this morning, and I'll, I'll say it because it's being recorded. Anybody who supports the Trinity does not have the indwelling of the Holy Ghost. Anyone who believes that Jesus is the second person of the Trinity does not have the indwelling of the Holy Ghost. I don't care how big the organization is. I don't care what seminaries they went to. If they believe that Jesus is the second person of the Trinity, they do not have the indwelling of the Holy Ghost. They just don't have it. Because if they had it, they would, they would not accept that false doctrine. Because it is false doctrine. And all those churches that support this false doctrine are also false churches. They are not real churches. They were all started by men. The church of God in Christ was started by Mason, was started by a man. Our church was started by a man, but it was the man Jesus Christ. We stand on the word of God. We stand on Acts 2.38. And all of them folks that deny Acts 2.38 don't have the indwelling of the Holy Ghost. Because if they say you don't need to be baptized in the name of Jesus for the remission of their sins, they're all demons from hell. And they're taking all them folks to hell with them. And that goes for all them Baptist churches, them Methodist churches, them Catholic churches, all of them churches that believe that Jesus is the second person of the Trinity, they're all destined to take all of themselves to hell. They're going to be the ones that Jesus says, Lord, didn't we do this in your name? Didn't we collect money in your name? Didn't we heal in your name? Didn't we? Do? Jesus is going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. I never knew you. You denied me. You denied the baptism in my name. You denied the cross. You denied my deity. And I don't know you. And that's the truth. I am telling you the absolute truth. Our church is founded on the doctrine of Jesus Christ. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of what we believe. And let me prove my point of what I just said about all the heathens. In John's second epistle, chapter 1, verse 9. John's second epistle, chapter 1, verse 9. He says, listen. 
Whosoever transgresseth and not ab abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he has both the Father and the Son. The doctrine of Christ is you must be born of the water and you must be born of the Spirit. The doctrine of Christ says you must repent of your sins and be baptized in my name and receive the indwelling of my Spirit, evidenced by speaking in tongues as I give you the ability. That's the doctrine of Christ. And it says if you abide in the doctrine of Christ, then you got both the Father, you got the Holy Ghost, and you got the Son. You got Jesus. And if you don't abide in the doctrine of Christ, then you don't have the Father and you don't have the Son. And if you don't have the Father and you don't have the Son, then you ain't saved and you're going to hell. At Unity of Faith Christian Center, we have both the Father and the Son. Why? Because we declare and we believe the doctrine of the Apostle Jesus Christ. Therefore, we are an apostolic church because we believe, we declare, and we profess the apostolic doctrine of the apostle Christ Jesus. Ephesians 4.3, Ephesians 4.3, this is our goal, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. That's our goal, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And you notice Spirit is capitalized. That's the Holy Ghost. To endeavor now is to try hard at doing something. To endeavor is to try hard at doing something. So let's break this down now. In this context, unity in the Greek is henotes. Henotes. H-E-N-O-T-E-S. Henotes. It means oneness and unanimity, unanimity, unanimity means agreed on by all. Unanimity means agreed on by all, shared as a view by all of people concerned with nobody disagreeing. Hinotis, oneness, hinotis means oneness and unanimity. Unanimity means agreed on by everyone, shared as a view by all of the people concerned. With nobody disagreeing. We are all of one spirit and we don't disagree. Spirit, capitalized, which refers to the Holy Ghost. Then it says bond. In the Greek, bond is sudesmas. Bond in the Greek is sudesmas. That which binds together. Sudesmas. That which binds together. And then it says peace. In the Greek is arane. Irane. Harmony and concord between individuals. You got that? Spirit, the Holy Ghost, a bond, that which binds together, peace, harmony, and concord between individuals. So let's put this all together. Unity of Christian, uh, Faith Christian Center, we endeavor. We try hard to keep the unity of the Holy Ghost that binds us as one, binds us in the bond of peace. That's why we don't have any mess in this church. And ain't nobody talking about anybody behind their back. And there's no mess going on in that church because this church, we maintain the bond of peace in the unity of the bond of peace. We try hard to be a ministry in which the doctrine of the apostle Jesus Christ is a view shared by all with nobody disagreeing. That's why there's only a few of us in here. You know why? Because folks come in here, but they've been to all them, 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 them heretic churches and they can't, they can't stand the truth. Plus, they don't have the indwelling of the Holy Ghost. So they come in here and they hear the truth and they hear what I talk about and it turns them off and they go right on out the door. Oh, but one thing they cannot say 
is they didn't, they can't say they didn't hear it. I make sure that everybody that comes through that door hears. You've got to repent of your sins, be baptized in the name of Jesus for the remission of your sins, and you've got to have the indwelling of the Holy Ghost evidenced by speaking in tongues. Confessing with your mouth and believing in your heart is not going to get it. Praying the sinner's prayer is not going to get it. Jesus says, he that believes and is baptized shall be saved. That's the doctrine of Christ, and that's the doctrine of Christ, and that's the apostolic doctrine of Christ that we stand on and believe and declare, and we will never, ever take down, even if this ministry is nothing but four people. We try hard to keep the Holy Ghost as the spirit of influence that binds us together. We try hard to keep the Holy Ghost as the spirit by which we maintain harmony and concord between us all. And so because we try hard to keep the oneness of the Holy Ghost as the principle that binds us together in harmony and concord, there are those who in attempt to denigrate us, they call us the oneness movement. Which, in fact, is what we're all about and who we are. Because oneness is what Christ is about and who he is. Unity, oneness, is the scheme of God's plan for humanity. Unity, oneness, is the scheme of God's plan for humanity. In verse 4, he says, he reveals the scheme. There is one body. One spirit, even as ye are called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, doesn't say two Lords, doesn't say three Lords, it says one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. You see that seven-pointed star on your, on your offering envelope and that seven-pointed star in the back. That's what that symbolizes. One body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God. There's only one body, the body of Christ. There's only one spirit, the spirit of righteousness. There's only one hope, the hope of eternal life in which we are called. One Lord. Christ Jesus. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. One faith. What faith is that? The doctrine of the apostle Jesus Christ. One baptism. There's only one baptism in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. There's only one God and Father of all who are his. The Holy Ghost, who is above all, through all, and in are in all who are his. And because the Holy Ghost is the father of us all who are his, it says, verse 7, but unto every one of us is given grace according to the gift of Christ. The gift of Christ is the gift of grace. And the gift of grace is the divine influence and the anointing of the Holy Ghost. The grace of God is the anointing of the Holy Ghost. Thus, every one of us has been given grace the measure of the gift of Christ. Notice he says, Sister Cooper, the measure. An equal and exact amount. Why? Because we're all under the same influence. And we all have been given the same gift and the same amount of anointing from the Holy Ghost. When I was little growing up in Church of God in Christ, 
They used to believe that some folks were more anointed than others. They also believed that people were consecrated. I said they're consecrated. I said they're constipated? No, they're consecrated. That means they're holier than some other people. And it didn't make sense to me if we all got the Holy Ghost or, or they all had the Holy Spirit. But that's, that's one of the bogus churches. Why do I say that? Because they believe in the Trinity. Like I said, any, any organization, religious organization that believes in the Trinity, they don't have the indwelling of the Holy Ghost. They don't understand the gospel. They don't know God. <clears throat> so they used to say folks were more anointed than others. And they do all that. We've all been given grace in the gift of the anointed according to the plan of oneness. Being in unity. Verse 8, wherefore he said, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. So when Christ ascended after the passion of the cross, after he suffered, bled, and died and resurrected, he ascended into heaven. And not only did his ascension ensue victory over the eternal consequences of sin, through his ascension he made captives out of the captors of death. His ascension, he made captives out of the captors of death, hell and the grave. And not only this, but through his ascension, he was able now to give gifts unto men. That's what it says. This is what Jesus was telling the disciples in John, uh, John 16, 7. John 16, 7. I hope you're getting something out of this. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. So Jesus says, I must go away. I've got to ascend. I've got to go to the cross. So that I can come back in the spirit and fill you with the gift of me. I'm going to fill you with the gift of me. I'm going to give you some of me. And there's enough of of me for everybody. Uh I'm going to give you the gift of the Holy Ghost. And this is in conjunction with verse 4, with verse 7. Ephesians 4, 7. It says Jesus ascended so that those who believe the gospel will receive a measure of the gift of Christ, the gift of the Holy Ghost. And why was this done? This was done to fulfill God's plan of oneness and unity. Let me show you. Let me show you the lengths to which God went, was willing to go to restore unity to creation. Verse 9 says, Now that he ascended, what is it that he first descended into the lower parts of the earth? He descended into the lower parts of the earth. What did he do down there? Well, while the body of Jesus was laying in the tomb, the soul of Jesus descended into the lower parts of the earth. Why? Because that's the destiny of every soul that has not been redeemed, that will not, cannot be redeemed. And that part, lower parts of the earth, you know where that is? That's hell. 
The location, hell is the location. Hell is in the lower regions of the earth. That's why in eternity, after Jesus comes, the saints will be on earth and the sinners will be in earth. Because God said in Isaiah, I didn't create the earth in vain. I created the earth to be inhabited. And those who have his spirit will inhabit on the earth and inherit the earth. And those who don't have his spirit will be in hell with the devil and his angels in the earth at the eternal barbecue. They'll be roasting. Hmm. So the question is, why did Christ descend into the earth? Why did he go into the earth? First Peter 3.18. First Peter 3.18. He explains it very well. For Christ. First Peter 3.18. For Christ also has once suffered for us. The just. For the unjust. Why? That he might bring us to God. Being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. Capital S, quickened by the Holy Ghost. By which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison. Spirits is located. So that's the souls in prison. Well, who are these? Who are these spirits that were in prison that he preached to? Which were sometimes were disobedient. No, not Abraham. When once the long suffering of God waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was a preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls, were saved by water. The like figure whereunto even baptism doth also now save us, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus, his ascension. So Jesus now descended into the lower parts of the earth to preach the gospel to souls held in captivity by the captors of death, hell, and the grave. He's a righteous God. He's a merciful God. When he descended, he released the souls who perished during the time of Noah when the earth was flooded because they didn't have an opportunity to hear the gospel and there was no Mosaic law for their redemption. That's how good God is. That's how righteous he is. That's how fair he is. So when the earth was flooded, as well as those who had died after the similitude of Adam's transgression. So on the cross, not only did Jesus suffer to pay the debt for our sins, he suffered so that those who died without hearing the gospel could be saved. This shows us just how valuable human souls are and to what length God was willing to go to fulfill his plan of unity. The, uh, uh, 2 Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He doesn't will that any should perish, and he proved it because he descended into hell to set the captives free. Hebrews 2.9 says that he, Christ Jesus, by the grace of God, tasted death for us all. And so by descending into the lower parts of the earth and by subjecting him to the human destiny of death, hell, and the grave, Christ clearly exhibited his will that none should perish. He made that perfectly clear. Why? 
so that by descending and ascending, he would fulfill his plan of unity. I hope this is making sense to you. Am I wearing you out? You getting tired? Ephesians 4.10, he says, He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. He might fill all things. In this context, uh, fill in the Greek is pleru. Pleru. It means to fully satisfy and complete. Pleru. To fully satisfy and complete. In the Greek, all is pas, P-A-S, meaning the whole. So the question is, how would the ascension of Jesus fully supply and complete the whole? Well, we just heard Jesus say, I tell you the truth, it is expedient that I go away. For if I go not away, the comfort will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. Well, the one who fills all things is the comforter. That's why we, were, we are full of the Holy Ghost. He's the fullness of God. How do we know? Colossians 2.9, Colossians 2.9, For in him, that is in Jesus, the physical body of Jesus, dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. So in the Greek, fullness is pleroma, that which fills fulfills and completes. So in Pleroma, we see the root word Pleru, which is to fully supply and complete. Well, the Holy Ghost is the Pleroma. He's the one who fully supplies. He's the one who fills. He's the one who completes. The Holy Ghost is the spirit who preached repentance to the spirits in prison. The Holy Ghost is the Christ who purchased the church of God with his own blood. For it was by the offering of his blood that he led captivity captive. It was by the offering of his blood that he gained victory over death, hell, and the grave. And from the, uh, well, the, from the souls that are separated from him. By the shedding of his blood, he made it possible to be, for souls that are dead in sin now to be in unity with him. By his blood, by his blood, he made it possible for souls that are dead to sin can be in unity with him. The Holy Ghost is the unity of the Godhead. And every soul that is born of the water and born of the spirit is complete. And we are one with him. But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. We are given grace. We have the divine influence of the Holy Ghost dwelling in our souls. Hebrews 2.9 says Christ, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. Well, the spirit of grace is the same. The spirit of grace in Ephesians 1.7 is the same grace in Hebrews 2.9. So now, Jesus was empowered by the spirit of grace to fulfill the will of God and bring creation back into unity. And it is by this same spirit of grace that every born-again born believer is empowered to fulfill the will of God and be in unity with creation. Because that's the, way it's going to, that's the way it started and that's the way it's going to end. From the spirit of grace, every saint receives a measure of the gift of Christ. Every true believer receives the gift of God's anointing. And this is the promise of power. And so we must clearly understand 
Listen, Brother Winston, God's actions are never without purpose. God's actions are never without purpose. There is one body and every member in the body is given a measure of capability to appropriate the interests of Christ. We're all given that ability. Verse 11. This is how we appropriate his interests. He gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. For what? For the perfecting of the saints. For the work of the ministry. For the edifying of the body of Christ. How long? Till we all come in the unity of the faith. And of the knowledge of the Son of God. Unto a perfect man. Unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So each one of these offices in the body are directed toward achieving the same Three goals, the perfecting of the saints, the work of the ministry, and the edifying of the body of Christ. Firstly, the perfecting of the saints. This is not perfecting in the context of process in progress. In this context, perfecting is being in a state of completion. We are in a state of completion. Each one of the offices in the body are designed to bring the saints to a state of completion. Secondly, for the work of the ministry. In this context, work is purposeful effort. To minister is to serve. So each one of the offices in the body requires purposeful, excuse me, each uh, office in the body requires purposeful effort. And what happens as a result? The saints in the body are edified. Unity of Faith Christian Center, we are the church of the living God. We're the church the Holy Ghost purchased with his own blood. We're the anointed and gifted with the grace of God to accomplish his will. We are empowered by the Holy Ghost to complete the body of Christ. We are gifted now to serve one another. We are gifted to build the kingdom of God. We are about perfecting the saints. We are about the work of the ministry. We are about edifying the body of Christ. How long must we do this? How long must we be perfecting? How long must we be working? How long must we be edifying? Till we all come in the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man after the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Till, T-I-L-L, T-I-L-L is short for until, which means up to a point but not afterward. Till, up to a point but not after. So the point in time is when all come in the oneness of the faith, the doctrine of the Apostle Jesus Christ. Agreed on by everyone, shared as a view by all of the people concerned, with nobody disagreeing. This will be our eternal state of existence. We will all agree that Jesus Christ is Lord. We will all agree that the Holy Ghost is the Father of us all. We will have eternal knowledge of the Son of God. Knowledge in this context is epignosis. Knowledge through personal involvement. We will have personal involvement in eternity. When we all come in the unity of the faith, we shall have personal involvement with Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. When we all come in the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, every soul born of the water and born of the Spirit shall have personal involvement in the absolute perfection and completeness of the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Mm. Stature is helikia. Helikia. 
It is the attained state fit for a thing. An attained state fit for a thing. Statue is also someone's level of achievement. So when we all come in the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, we shall all have personal involvement in the measure of his holiness and his righteousness. When we all come in the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, we shall have personal involvement in what Christ achieved for us with his body and with his blood. When we all come into the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, we shall have personal involvement in the fullness and the completeness of the Holy Ghost. When we all come in the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, we shall have personal involvement with our Savior. We shall see Him as He is, and not only shall we see Him as He is, we shall be like Him. When we all come in the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, we shall have personal involvement in this cosmological upheaval. We shall see the complete and total reverse of the effects of sin on the heavens and the earth. This will be the culmination and the fulfillment of the work of Christ. This will be the moment of all moments. This will be the event of all mo- events. This will be the moment when all things return to their formal, eter- former eternal state of oneness. When we all come in the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. And I saw new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away. And there was no more sea. Notice the seas are drying up. All over the world, all over the globe, the seas are drying up. Spain is drying up. They're finding stuff that was cities that were lost underwater. Lake Mead is drying up. They're finding bodies and ships and everything. It's drying up. He says, and there was no more sea. Well, you know, in the beginning, there was no, there was no sea. There was no sea in the beginning. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men and he will dwell with them and they shall be his people and God himself shall be with them and God himself shall wipe away all tears from their eyes and there shall be no more death no more sorrow no more crying and there shall be No more pain, for the former things are passed away. So when we all come in the unity of the faith, there shall be a new heaven and a new earth. When we all come in the unity of the faith, we shall see the holy city. When we all come in the unity of the faith, God himself shall eternally dwell with his people. When we all come in the unity of the faith, we shall see God as he is. When we all come in the unity of the faith, not only will we see him, we shall be like him. When we all come in the unity of the faith, there shall be no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying, no more pain, no more sickness, no more disease. 
when we all come in the unity of the faith, we shall be a perfect man, equal in measure to the stature of the fullness of Christ. When we all come in the unity of the faith, we shall be in unity because of our faith. When we all come in the unity of the faith, we shall be in unity because of our faith. Let's give the Lord some praise. Father, we thank you for your word. And we thank you that we stand here as members of your body. We stand here as the church of God that you purchased with your own blood. Thank you, Lord, for your body and for your blood. Anyone in need of prayer this morning? Anyone in need of prayer? You were wounded for our transgressions. You were bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon you, Father. And with your stripes, we are healed. Thank you for your healing. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Something you want me to pray for? All right. Father, you know our needs before we ask. So we, Father, we thank you for me. Baptized in your name and filled with your spirit. Continue to lead him. Continue to guide him. And touch each and every member of his family. And right now we're asking that you look in on David right now. David Sr. And touch him right now in a mighty way. For your glory, for your honor, and for your praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Any questions or comments? Questions or comments? Any questions or comments?